0: A Focus Summary of Part 1, Chapters 6 and 7 of Silas Marner. Let me say a word before I begin this summary. I first discovered this novel listening to it on audiobook while I took my daily walks last Christmas. When I got to Chapter 6, I was lost. Not on my walk, but in the book. It felt like a diversion from the plot. I wanted to get back to Silas. It was a back and forth conversation among unfamiliar characters, alternately identified by their name and their position, and half the time I couldn't follow what they were talking about or why. If you listen to my reading of the chapter, it may have been even more difficult for you. I'm not an actor and I don't do voices, so that adds another layer of difficulty when you're trying to follow the threads of the conversation. Recently, I had an idea. First for myself, but also for your benefit, I created a spreadsheet that shows each new line of dialogue in descending cells under a fixed header line that identifies the name and the title of the character. So as you scroll down, you can read the dialogue without the interruption of narration and always see which character is speaking. I think I'm onto something. I'm not at all suggesting that the dialogue should stand alone, absent the narration. The narration is brilliant and important. But it helped me to abstract the conversation and always be able to see who was talking, and then to put it back in the context of the chapter as a whole. You'll find a link to the spreadsheet in the post I've called Anatomy of a Conversation. So, for the purposes of this summary, I'll only give the briefest recounting of the scene at the Rainbow, and then dive deeper in the later post. I hope this approach is as helpful to you as it was to me. So, Chapter 6. When he opened the door of the rainbow, the reclusive Silas was thrust into Raveloe community life. Hoping to find there the village's powers and dignities, he instead found the less lofty men of society, drinking their beer, smoking their pipes, and engaging in animated conversation. Prior to Silas's arrival, the butcher and the farrier had competed for one upmanship over a cow, while the landlord played peacemaker. The parish clerk, the deputy, and the wheelwright tried to out-roast each other with clever barbs and epigrams, until the peacemaking landlord again intervened to remind them that they were all good friends. The old parish clerk Mr. Macy was then called upon to tell the stories they had all clearly heard many a time before— but enjoyed none the less for it. He regaled them with the community lore its chronicles, comedic tales, and supernatural stories. Doubtless the sceptical farrier declared himself ready to lay a bet with anyone that if he stood all night before the supposedly haunted stables, he would see no sign of the otherworldly. The next moment, the pale, thin figure of Silas Marner in the doorway seemed confirmation of the existence of ghosts. Between the tavern-goer's alarm and Marner's agitation, there were a few moments of dead silence. At last, the always hospitable landlord took it upon himself to address the apparition. He asked Silas, in a conciliatory tone, what his business was there, and Silas gasped out that he had been robbed. Declaring him off his head, the landlord ordered Jem Rodney to lay hold of him. But Jem, muttering that he appeared to have been robbed and murdered, declined the responsibility. Hearing the name Jem Rodney, Silas turned on him with strange fixed eyes, accused him of stealing the money, and demanded its return. Rodney replied with outraged denial, and the landlord, taking Silas by the shoulder and urging him to speak sense, asked for his evidence. The other men, now relieved that the reality of ghosts was still in question, raised their own voices and echoed the landlord's sentiments. Silas then told his story to his attentive audience, who at first listened with a slight suspicion, but eventually were convinced by the simplicity of his distress but given the incomprehensible facts that the robber left no traces, and knew the nick of time when Silas would go away without locking his door, they were inclined to attribute the crime to some preternatural felon. The landlord assured Marner that Rodney was not the culprit, since he had been there drinking his can at the Rainbow since before Marner left his house, and Mr. Macy appealed to him to make no accusations against the innocent." These words, and the memories they stirred, aroused a new compunction in Silas, who made Rodney a heartfelt apology. The farrier, still eschewing the existence of ghosts and seeking a more common-sense explanation than that of his companions, surmised that some tramp had snuck in, and that the short-sighted Silas overlooked the evidence he left behind. Then he proposed that they go to the constable, have him appoint one of them as deputy, and then proceed to Marner's house to examine the premises. This led to a hot debate about whether a doctor could be appointed deputy, and whether a farrier was a doctor, until the farrier petulantly declared he didn't want to be the deputy. The dispute was accommodated by the landlord, and Silas, in the company of Mr. Macy and the farrier, went out into the rain."